We're recording this sermon because church isn't able to happen live this morning. So it's just me and a couple of our sound people here. But we're living in interesting times, maybe crazy times, because life has suddenly changed. I feel it in my own family. I have a daughter who's a camp program director. They just had to cancel a retreat with 450 kids at it. She's just got laid off, and they're not sure if the camp will even run this summer. I have another daughter who's in the teaching program at U of C. She's not sure if she'll be able to finish her student teaching in the classroom and whether U of C will still be in business to give her her degree at the end of the year. She's also had to cancel a personal trip outside of the country. Don and I have talked about retiring, and the last little while, 25% of our pension plan has disappeared in the stock market. We've had to change our plans for a course that we were doing in England that got canceled. And then this week, my mother died as well. And probably that's not that different from your week either. We're living in crazy times. It's like life has suddenly changed beyond belief. You know, what seemed normal a few months ago is now totally different. There's no food to be had. Leaders are talking different things and confusing us with their thoughts. No one really knows what's going to happen next. The safe, comfortable world is falling apart. You know, that last part almost sounds like today, but actually, I'm talking about the Israelites as they come out of Egypt. Their safe, comfortable world has fallen apart. They used to be slaves. Someone told them what to do. Nothing changed in their lives. But now that Moses has led them out, they're in the desert. There's no food, and they complain. And the leaders say, oh, let's go back to Egypt. There's no water, so they complain. And the leaders say, oh, let's go back to Egypt. They're not sure who will attack them next. They're not sure where they're going. They're not sure where they'll stay next. They're not even sure that their leader knows where he's going. And with all of that, they come to Mount Sinai. And God meets them there, and he renews the covenant that he made with Abraham. And then, for almost half of the book of Exodus, from chapters 25 to chapter 40, he tells them how to build a tent church, which he calls a tabernacle. Tabernacle seems to be God's answer to the Israelites of how to handle the crazy times they are in. The crazy time between leaving the security of Egypt and the promise of a new land and age. And I kind of want to suggest in this sermon today that it's also God's answer for us. It's God's answer for us today of how to live in a time of the coronavirus. The fear of today and the uncertainty of the future. It's a time of living in the stock market crash and the oil price collapse. And so let's just review quickly what that tent was. And then let's figure out together how this can be God's answer for today. So you've probably watched those house fix-up shows on TV. You know, the kind where the builder sits down with the family. They figure out what they want. Then they build it. And there's always the inevitable crises and the unexpected things. And I want to suggest to you that that's just about the story of Exodus and the tabernacle. From chapters 25 to 31, God gives Moses directions on what to build. It's almost like a verbal blueprint. 
And then in chapters 32 to 34, there's this unexpected crisis which almost derails the whole project. And then in Exodus 35 to 40, those final six chapters, the people build it. And it's this word for word, they built what they were told to build. It's so repetitive, it sounds like it was written on a photocopier, like some of our best papers in school, maybe. So what does this tabernacle look like? Well, rather than read six chapters of Hebrews, sorry, rather read six chapters of Exodus, the book of Hebrews gives us a summary description. We find it in chapter 9 of Hebrews, if you want to follow along. And it says there, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship, and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up, and in its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, or the holy of holies, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. And this ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant, or the Ten Commandments. And above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. Basically, the tabernacle was a tent built inside of a courtyard that had a kind of wall of tent around it. And the courtyard was 100 cubits by 50. So a cubit is from the length of your longest finger to your elbow. It's about 18 inches in old measure or about half a meter today. So this 100 by 50 courtyard was about 50 meters by 25. In the courtyard, there's this bronze altar for animal sacrifices. There's this large washstand or laver also made of bronze. And that's about it. Then there's a tent pitched in the middle of this. The tent is about 30 cubits by 10 or 15 meters by 5. And it's made up of two parts, as the book of Hebrews says. There's the holy place, which is the larger part, 20 cubits long by 10 cubits wide. And then there's a holy of holies, which is 10 cubits by 10 cubits. So this holy place, that's where the priest would go in kind of a couple of times a day. There's a lampstand. There's a table that has bread on it. And there's an incense altar. They're all made of gold. There's a curtain that then separates this holy place from the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And it's in the holy of holies that there's a chest with a gold shelf on top. There's two cherubim with one cherub on each side. And everything in the tabernacle is made of gold, since it was close to God. And this chest with the gold shelf on top, we call that the Ark of the Covenant. So this tabernacle was built in the time of Moses, which is somewhere around 1400 B.C. In about 950 B.C., Solomon would build a temple out of stone. It would be this massive temple, and it's the same plans. Slightly different dimensions, but exactly everything the same. It got destroyed about 586 when the people of Israel went into exile. Ezra comes back, and he, with Nehemiah, who will help build the wall around Jerusalem, rebuild the temple about 540 to 515 B.C. And then Herod would come along, King Herod, who we know from the New Testament, and he would rebuild the temple starting at about 20 B.C., not finishing it until 64 A.D., and it was a massive structure that was to bring glory to God, but to bring a lot of glory to Herod as well.
Ironically, the temple was finished in 64 AD, and in 70 AD, the Romans would come and destroy Jerusalem. They would tear the temple down, so all that remains today is a few of the foundation stones of the wall that they call the Wailing Wall. But throughout Israel's history, every temple or tabernacle was built off of the same plans that we read in the book of Hebrews. And then the book of Hebrews describes what the priests did. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room, the holy place, to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. And this is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations, if you want, applying until the time of the new order. So the tabernacle pictured the holiness of God. While everyone could enter the courtyard, only the priests could enter the tent itself. And the inner part of the tent, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest, and only once a year. And this is a picture of the holiness of God, that he was so holy that people could not come into his presence. Yeah, I know, it's a moderately interesting history lesson. But what do we do with the tabernacle? I mean, it's not standing, nor is the temple. We don't sacrifice. We don't set out showbread. We don't burn incense. Does it really matter? And how is it God's answer to the Israelites' fear and anxiety? How is it the answer to our fear and anxiety today? Ha, glad you asked. Point one, the tabernacle was a sign of God's forgiveness. I mean, the most obvious thing in the courtyard of the tabernacle for people who were not allowed into the tent itself was the altar where the animals were sacrificed. And Jesus and his death on the cross fulfilled what these sacrifices pictured. And because he did that, he made atonement for us. He brought us to God. Hebrews 9 verse 11 goes on to say, When Jesus came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say it's not part of this creation. And he didn't enter it by means of the blood of goats and calves, like in the Old Testament, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more then? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. In other words, Jesus came and in his death fulfilled the sacrifices that were needed. But maybe I hear you saying, Dale, that's all good. Guilt is good to deal with, but it's anxiety that's the mood of today. If, if not actual fear, how does that address that? <laughs> Once again, I'm glad you asked, because the second point is this. 
it's through this that we can enter the very presence of God. Hebrews goes on in verse chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, I think the most important part of the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, which symbolized God's presence. He was present, but he was set apart by his holiness. And only a special person on a special day could get close to him in the Old Testament times. And Jesus came to fulfill the tabernacle or the temple. The tabernacle and the temple represented two things. One was the sacrificial system. And Jesus came to fulfill the various sacrifices. He was our sin offering, our peace offering, our Passover lamb. But not only did the tabernacle represent the sacrificial system, it was also the sign of the presence of God. The Holy of Holies was a symbol of where God dwelt, which is why His glory filled the temple. He was represented by the Ark of the Covenant, both the promise of His presence and the means of His forgiveness. It's why when Jesus died, it says in Matthew 27, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the tearing of the curtain, that is that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, was a picture that we as forgiven people can now come directly into God's presence. We don't need a mediator or animal sacrifices or priests. And tearing that curtain from top to bottom means it's God's act, not ours. And it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so this tabernacle is a picture of God's presence with us. And now we are free at any time to meet with God. We don't need priests or saints. We can pray and meditate and experience God's presence. His holy presence is something we're allowed to come into the presence of. And in the fear and anxiety of the Israelites leaving Egypt and walking through this strange place on the way to the promised land, in the unknowingness of what was happening and what would happen next, of where they would find food or water in the desert or how they would know where to go, God came and said to them, let me give you a concrete symbol, a symbol of my presence. Well, actually not concrete, more a tent, because God wanted a symbol to travel with us, a symbol to say he was always present wherever they were, just as he's always present wherever we are. And it's in this sense that Jesus came as the fulfillment of the tabernacle or the temple. He's the concrete sign of God's forgiveness and love. And his presence with us is that ongoing promise that God is watching over us. John put it this way. He said the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And that word dwelling is really the word tabernacle. It's like he came and tented among us. He tabernacled among us. And he's using that word to describe Jesus coming. Because he wants us to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the tabernacle. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the message, 
translates this, Jesus moved into the neighborhood, which I have never understood and think is a total and complete mistranslation. Jesus didn't move into the neighborhood. He pitched his tent in the neighboring campground, and he moved around with the people constantly on the road. And today he pitches his tent even closer with us. For not only was Jesus the temple, there's a sense in which we are the temple of God as well. And if you have trouble figuring out how that works, well, it's because the temple was the place of God's presence. And now the promise is that the Holy of Holies has become our souls, the place within us where God is profoundly present. And Paul said to the church in Corinth in chapter 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And we are temples in that sense that, that God lives within each of us in the person of his Holy Spirit. And the Holy of Holies is the Spirit living within us. And that has implications for how we act, as Paul says. It says that we don't sin because God's presence is with us. But, but for today, maybe it has implications for how we go through uncertain times. Just as God was present with the Israelites through his tabernacle in the middle of their camp, so God is present in us through his Holy Spirit. And as God watched over the Israelites and led them out of Egypt through the wilderness, and how he gave them food and water and led them into the promised land, in the same way God promises to be present with us. In the person of Jesus Christ, he came and tabernacled among us. And when Jesus returned to heaven, God sent his Holy Spirit to live with us, to make us a tabernacle, a temple, a sign of God's presence and power. And therefore, Paul can say to his church, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The most wonderful thing about this story of the tabernacle is it's set in the same situation that we find ourselves in today. It's set in the situation where everything has gone crazy and the world has changed and all of a sudden life has suddenly become completely different. And as the Israelites were walking their way through that and trying to figure out where do we find security and direction in a time of uncertainty, God came and said, I will make my covenant afresh with you on Mount Sinai. And I will give you this symbol of my presence, this temple, this tabernacle. And I believe he's done that for us as well. That Jesus came and fulfilled that temple and then God gave his Holy Spirit to us that we can become his tabernacle, his temple. That he dwells within us. And in the same way that he promised to lead the people of Israel through uncertain times. He promises to lead us through uncertain times. In the same way that he was present when things did not seem to have a logic to them. Where there wasn't a predictability. So God is present with us. And Paul says in all this, do not be anxious. But in everything, draw near to God. We have that great privilege of coming into the Holy of Holies. We have that great privilege of coming into God's very presence. We have that great privilege of bringing our needs before Him. 
and this week and this month and for however long this crisis continues, we have this privilege of knowing that God is present, that we are his tabernacle. He lives within us. And any time we can come to him and draw near. My prayer for us as a church, as a people, as a nation, is that we will sense God's presence in the midst of all this. And in the midst of all this, we can be God's presence. We can be God's tabernacle to others. We can be a source of encouragement and a source of calm. That we can be people who serve each other. That we can be people who let others know that God is still present. And in the uncertainty of all the things we see, we can be assured that God's presence is still real. That God is still here. That God is on his throne and still in control. And that God is at work in our lives and through us in the lives of those around us. If we can be praying for you this week, we would love to do that. Feel free to go online. If you're a part of our congregation, you have an elder, and we would love you just to reach out if you just want prayer or there's something we can do to help. Reach out to your elder. Reach out to one of the pastors. Reach out to the church office. We're here to help each other. If you maybe you're able to help in this situation, maybe be able to do some shopping for other people or to pick up prescriptions or just there's some need that's there. If you're willing to do that, we'd love to hear from you as well so we can develop a list of people who are able to respond. But the great promise as we go through this is that God is still present. Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, for he is present. And he promises to walk with us through all the uncertainty of life. May God bless. Amen.